the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. As has often been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, how true that is in our relationships. And it all starts with you. And it starts with you being intentional about choosing the right people in your life, not just passively letting people come into your life, but having some good boundaries. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Not that you separate people out in the sense of uh, being rejecting to people, but when it comes to the people that you're closest to, there's some intentionality uh, to choosing the right people for your life. As I said, we're going to talk tonight about this idea of graciousness in relationships. And this whole idea of graciousness in relationships doesn't start with us. It actually starts with God. As we looked at last week in the, in the, in the book of Psalms chapter 116, the Bible says the Lord is, what is He? He is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. And so we are to be righteous, because, excuse me, gracious because God is. What is He? He is gracious. We're going to see some examples of that as we go through this evening together. The Lord is gracious and righteous and full of compassion. Now, each one of us, now that we know who God is and we have a relationship with Him through Christ, we must understand that we have a responsibility, that God is gracious. We come into relationship with Him, and now we have a responsibility, as we talked about last weekend, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So I want to really emphasize again, as we're uh, taking off in this, this time this evening, that we are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing in grace is something that we need to do, and it's not just growing in grace in the sense of your relationship with God, and that's extremely important that we get to know Him better and we let His grace affect our lives, but His grace should not stop just with us, but it should flow through us to the people around us. There's a horizontal dimension to growing in grace, that you and I need to become more gracious in our relationships with people. Have you ever met a really gracious person or had a really gracious person come into your life? And you know what a beautiful thing that is just to have someone that steps into your world in a needed time and it seems as though they just walk in with bucket loads of grace and it just makes a huge difference in processing life, walking through difficulties and just having the right kind of friends around you. And my prayer uh, for myself and my prayer for all of us is that we would learn to grow in the grace of Jesus, not just vertically, but also horizontally. Now, I want to take you to a story in the Bible tonight that gives us an illustration of 
of this idea of graciousness. And it's taken from the life of a, of a man by the name of David. You know him well. He wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible. And so if you have your Bibles, you might want to take a look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, actually 13 verses. So there'll be a number of verses that tells a great story for us about David's graciousness to someone. And then from that, we're going to extract some principles for our lives tonight. So let's dive in together. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. It's a story of David and a man by the name of Mephibosheth. David, this is uh, uh, many years after uh, his, he becomes king of Israel. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show? What is the word here? Kindness. The actual Hebrew word is hesed there, and it's, it really is very close to the concept of grace. Kindness, grace, compassion, all those terms kind of overlap one another. So David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Now don't pass by that very quickly because who was Saul? Saul was David's arch enemy. Saul was the man that was trying to kill David for a number of years. And so he's now asking the question, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I cannot destroy, to whom I cannot find an opportunity to make miserable? No, he says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show, what's the word again? Kindness, or we'll use the word grace because it's uh, the actual Hebrew word literally means favor there. I can show kindness or favor or grace for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan was Saul's son and had been a great friend of David. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, here's the key. Now, first time in this passage, we're getting the name of the person. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. I want to stop there for a moment and give you a little bit of history before we go further. So it's David asking for someone from the house of Saul that he can show kindness, grace, favor to for the sake of his his former friend who has now passed on, Jonathan, and the servant comes as he's been requested by the king to come, and he says, yeah, there is one guy that's left. One of the sons of, 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 of Jonathan is left. He's lame in both feet and, feet, and his name is Mephibosheth. Stop there for everybody. Say Mephibosheth with me, okay? Really extra hard to say with your mask on, isn't it? Okay. Mephibosheth. Why was he lame in both feet, and what's this story all about? Well, if you go back earlier in 2 Samuel, we'll find out that Mephibosheth, at the time that Saul was killed in battle and Jonathan was killed in battle, uh, they come and they tell the, there's a little boy by the name of Mephibosheth. Actually, he had a, a different name at the time, uh, from what we can tell in Scripture. 
And they come back to his nurse who's taking care of him, and they tell him that, that both his grandfather and father have been killed in battle. And of course, at that time, Saul was the king, and so the, 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 the fear was that now the one that had killed Saul and Jonathan, the prince, in battle most likely was coming for all the king's heirs and would kill them as well. And so uh, they, the nurse that's taking care of little Mephibosheth, he's five years old at the time, she becomes very afraid. She grabs him up to run and take him out of the house to a place of safety, and she drops him. Must have been a significant drop because evidently he became became lame in both of his feet. And from that day forward, from what we can get in Scripture, there's some sort of fill-ins that you have to kind of put pieces together, but it seems it was at that time or near that time that he was given the name Mephibosheth, which means this, shameful thing. That's what the name means. You're, You're a person of shame. You bring shame to the family. Now he has no ability to walk. He's lame in both feet. He's been living away in a place called Lodabar. And the word Lodabar actually is it's very interesting. Sometimes in the Bible it's quite interesting to see the names of places and how they connect with the story. And that's what's going on here. Lodabar actually means a place where there is no pasture land. So it's a place of depression. And actually it's very close to the name itself. Lodabar. Low. It's a low place. It's a place where nothing good's going on. And so he's way out there on his own. He has to be taken care of every day. He's lame in both feet. He feels like his life is a mess. Everybody calls him a shameful thing, and he's living in low debar. He's the picture of someone that's one of the lowest places of life, a place of shame, a place of his own self-hatred, self-disgust, self-misery, looking at his life and seeing no future at all. And here's the king, King David, saying, Is there anyone, anyone from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for the sake of my friend Jonathan? And the name Mephibosheth comes up. He calls Mephibosheth in. Can you imagine being called to the house of the king, to the palace of the king? He has no idea what's going on. He's perhaps thinking that, well, he finally found me, and he knows that I'm the grandson of Saul, and it seems like my life now likely will be over because uh, Saul and David were enemies, and so maybe it's my time to be killed. Maybe this is what's going on. I've been found. Notice what happens next. Don't be what? Don't be afraid, David said to him. That, That implies that he was afraid, right? Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you favor, kindness, grace for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will, oh my goodness, restore to you all the land, notice that, all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant? As you, sh- you should notice, a dead dog like me. See his perception of himself? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Wow. Isn't this a good story? Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah or Micah, and all the members of Ziba's family, Ziba's household, were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. David just gave us one of the most beautiful pictures of being a gracious person. This is, this is what gracious people do. Instead of extracting revenge on the family of someone that had been an enemy for a long time, he says, I've got to find something good to do. I've got to find a blessing to impart. I need to show some grace to Saul's family because I had a friendship with Jonathan and I promised that I would always take care of his family. And there in that moment, he said, I've got to find someone to show this kind of grace to. So let's get ready to focus on characteristics of being this kind of person. What does a gracious person look like? Number one tonight, they are compassionate to others. Gracious people know how to show compassion to other people. And the word compassion is a word that's really important to understand. It means that you have a sympathetic consciousness of the distress of other people. That you kind of, it goes very much along with the idea of empathy, that compassion and empathy means that you're able to feel what other people feel and it, it touches you in the core of your being to the degree that you're now wanting to take action. See, compassion really isn't compassion if it's just a feeling, but real compassion always moves you to action. You'll find in the gospel accounts many times Jesus ministering to people and it says he was moved with compassion. He did something because there was something that stirred inside of him when he saw need in another person's life. It's interesting that you'll find this idea of compassion in the book of Exodus when the story, you might recall the story of Moses because all the little boys were being killed and so Moses' mom decided to put him in a little, bu- a little uh, basket and hide him in the Nile River and, and then the, the daughter of the Pharaoh comes along and finds this little boy in the, in the river and she draws him out. Why? Because the Bible says she was moved with compassion. See, compassion saved Moses' life. It brought him out and gave him a future. And how many people's lives can be given a future just because you can take and I can take an act and demonstrate an act of compassion to others. And so to be able to be compassionate to others, you have to get outside of your world at times and your pain at times and what you're going through at times and the issues of your life and be able to make room in your life to feel for the pain and the needs of other people. That's what grace does. Gracious people make room for other people for the opportunity of compassion. The next one, these are fairly simple, but they're important to remember. They're also kind to other people. The word kind I'll give you some other words for a kind here. It's helpful. Uh, you're able to actually extend help, as we kind of talked about related to, 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 to compassion. But here's another word that might add a little bit more to that. It's, it's gentle. That's oftentimes used as a synonym for kindness, gentleness. 
one of the Greek words that's used for gentleness or kindness in the Bible, that concept of gentleness and kindness is a word that describes a horse. It's a meek horse and a horse that's actually been domesticated. It has strength and it has power, but it doesn't destroy with strength or power. It has the ability to be kind, rideable, if you will, capable of being used. There's a gentleness to it. If you've ever done any horseback riding, you can appreciate a gentle horse. You can appreciate a horse that will treat you kindly. And the same is true for you and me. You can have compassion. I've known people that were very compassionate people, but they weren't very gentle. Okay. And you can be compassionate without gentleness. And so gracious people not only have the compassionate nature, but they also have a gentle approach, a soft touch when it comes to other people and how they're working with them and dealing with them and even helping them in their life. Here's our third thing. We're going through eight of these tonight. They are generous in all their dealings. Let's go back to the story of Mephibosheth for a moment. When David called him into the household and he met him for the first time, Mephibosheth was afraid. And the first thing David says is, don't be afraid, which actually is very empathetic. He identified with what Mephibosheth was feeling, was very compassionate. He was very kind. But also he says, here's what I'm going to do. Don't be afraid Mephibosheth, because what I'm going to do to you, he could have very easily given given him just a a little gift and said, hey, it's nice to meet you. I hope this will be a blessing to you and send him off. But no, there's a generosity in the graciousness. He says, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to restore to you all all the land your daddy had, your granddaddy had, I should say. Can you imagine? How much land do you think Saul had? Had a lot. He was king, okay? Had a lot of land. He said, I'm going to restore to you all that land and And by the way, we're going to get somebody else to farm it for you because we know you can't farm it. So that's generosity. And and, and let's add to that, we're going to be at my table every day. And when all all the, my family comes around, you're part of the family now. And so you just come in and sit at my table. Don't feel ashamed of being a part of the family. You're now in my family as well. I would say that David was demonstrating great generosity. Would you agree with me? And dear ones, I think one of the things that will help us in our lives is to get past stinginess and giving. I'm not just talking about finances here. That's, that's one other, that's another message for another time. I think it applies to that as well. But so many times we live from the standpoint of scarcity. If I, if I give of my time or if I give of my energy or if I even give of my finances or whatever it might be, that there's not going to be enough for me. But, but David had this mindset of saying, no, it's, it's really not about holding on. It's about pouring out. And one of the things that I am learning and have learned over the years, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, a statement perhaps you've heard before, but it's so very true. You cannot outgive God. You can't outgive him. Because when you give to God and give to other people in his name, there's something of a reciprocity that flows back. I'm not talking about some kind of weird, strange prosperity theology. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that God, I believe this principle to be true, that if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Okay? But he wants to get it through you. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so David understood this. He was gracious. He was generous in his dealings. Let's go to the fourth thing together. Gracious, grow in grace. They diligently guard against prejudice and judgment toward others. They they diligently guard against prejudice. What is prejudice? Prejudice, let's just break it apart and say what it is. Prejudice is prejudging someone on the basis of anything. 
Is prejudging someone on the basis of social status? Is prejudging someone on the basis of the color of their skin? Is prejudging someone on the basis of where they live, the car they drive, the clothes they wear? Is prejudging anyone on the basis of uh, what political party they're in? Is prejudging anyone on the basis of any of those kind of things? It's prejudging, is putting someone in a category in your mind and then relating to them out of that without really knowing them. That's what prejudging, that's all prejudice is. And prejudice is unfair to people because you don't know people. And you don't want people judging you before they know you. And so gracious people make the decision of saying, I'm not prejudging anyone. I'm going to diligently guard against prejudice and judgment in my life toward others. There's a story in the Bible, and I've referenced it a few times recently, but I want to bring you back to it. Jesus told the story of the, uh, the Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee, and the publican, the tax collector, who went to the temple to pray. And the, 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 the Pharisee prays first, and he says, oh, I, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. He didn't even know that guy over there other than what he labeled him to be. And he says, you know, I do all these different things and keep all these commandments, and aren't you really blessed to have me, God, in your, in, in your world, God? And, and then the, 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 the tax collector just bowed his head and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says it was the man that was humble and the man that had a proper spirit of humility and, and, and grace toward God that went away justified and had his prayers heard. Why? Because the Pharisee was living in judgment. He was living in an attitude of prejudice and judgment toward others. He didn't know the man's heart. So gracious people are diligently guarding. You know that you have to diligently guard yourself? from these kind of things. And Christians as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to diligently guard ourselves against these kind of things getting inside of us. And by the way, there's a lot of this stuff in the world today. Amen? Okay? There's a lot of this stuff in the world that should not be in us as believers. We should work diligently to guard against it. Number five, this is what grace is. Okay? Grace does not come to a person with prejudice or judgment. Here's our next one. They're easily entreated. What does it mean to be entreated? That as they respond easily to, uh, to opportunities or to requests. I'm going to tell you a quick story from the Bible tonight. You might not know this story. You may know it. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I'll try to tell it to you as quickly as I can because it's really a story about one guy that's not very easily entreated and, and one guy that is. And that guy happens to be David again. David's coming up a lot tonight. And 1 Samuel 25 is a story of a man by the name of Nabal. His name means fool. And his wife, Abigail. And the Bible says that David had been out. He was, it was during the time of battles that David was going through. He had a bunch of men with him that he had to feed. And so uh, what had happened was he was at a place that he needed some food. And Nabal had a big farm, a lot of livestock, a lot of good. I mean, he was a very wealthy guy. And so David goes to Nabal or sends a messenger to Nabal who owns this farm. And David says, Nabal, we, we need some help with our guys. And by the way, just so you know, we've been guarding your shepherds out here for you, and we've not let anything happen to them. We've been good to them, and we've been taking care of your people out here. Could you give us a little bit of something? We need some food. Could you help us out a little bit? Everybody following the story so far? Okay. Nabal's so it was an entreaty, okay? Would you do this for me? Would you help me in some way? Here is a request. I am in need. Is there something you could do for me, for us? 
And David really was not asking for himself. He was asking for his men. He's making an entreaty to Nabal. And Nabal responds, no, I'm not doing anything for you. I'm not doing anything for you. You You're not going to get any of my food. Turns him away. You can read. This is a complete paraphrase, but it's it's that you'll read the story in 1 Samuel 25. David is very upset by that. And he says, we're going to go after that guy. We're going to destroy him. He's treated us this way, so now we're going after him. But Abigail, Nabal's wife, finds out what's going to occur, and she goes to David, and she entreats David. David, would you please not do this? Would you have mercy? And she brings gifts to David and makes an entreaty of David to say, would you change your mind? David changed his mind and did not attack Nabal. What I want you to see is that one man was unreasonable and the other man was reasonable. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.